Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. What is this, amateur hour? Yeah, I ain't no Superman businessman like you. You know, I'm just a amateur, I suppose. Amateur hour is what's happening. <laughs> amateur hour is what's Amateur Hour is the best podcast in the world. Yeah. Amateur Hour is the best podcast in the world. Come on. Uh huh. This is a show about the Chiefs, the football team that plays in Kansas City. Friendship and fun and stats that you won't believe. AHPKC will begin shortly. Hey, hey. Hey, Dirk. Are you ready? Let's do this thing. Come on, let's go. Let's go. It's football time. Yeah. Yeah. That's right, folks. It's time for Amateur Hour. I am Ryan Scott Hall. And the man, quite literally, sitting across from me in the exact same room for the first time in many weeks, dressed like a like a Christmas elf in his red and green get up here. <laughs> Without further ado, it is his darkness. What's up? Red and green, favorite colors for obvious reasons. For the Chiefs and for... Not money. <laughs> okay. It ain't money. It ain't money, honey. All right. <laughs> Well, Kansas City Chiefs fans, your team won again because they're better than everybody. It was a very enjoyable Sunday in which the Kansas City Chiefs offense ran 58 plays and had 27 first downs. Hey. That's uh, that's what I call efficiency, his darkness. Yeah, here it's Chiefs drives chart off the, uh, off the bat here. Touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. Uh, a weird 20-second drive that had some weird stipulations that should have been a field goal, but turned into an interception. Touchdown. Touchdown. Field goal. Yeah. And then some other drives. I don't know. There were, there then were then I took a nap. Oh, okay. Right on. All right. That's good. Didn't That's take, good. Didn't take a nap. Sounded, didn't like, sounded like a uh, pretty typical Sunday for yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the red team out there against the Cleveland Browns. Um, so you, you asked what I wanted to talk about today, and I said, well, I want to talk about three different people. I want to talk about Kareem Hunt, I want to talk about Breland Speaks, and I want to talk about Kendall Fuller. And you said, well, you know, Ryan, I think I've got some big picture ideas that we should go over. And I said, well, don't tell me, let's save it for the show, Dirk, jeez. Oh, I'm going to tell you shit. But, but here we are. So, uh, Dirk, the floor is yours. Let's get some big picture ideas. Starting, from you want to start big picture? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So, I mean, I've kind of been sitting back. Um, first off, it's, I mean, it's just weird watching Chiefs games anymore. This is, this is kind of a takeaway from the game. I'll just get this uh, out, out of the way. Uh, it's weird watching Chiefs games right now because I, I used to be super intense. I mean, you've watched a lot of Chiefs games with me. I'm, I'm on the intense side when I watch Chiefs games, yeah? Uh, sometimes, like, frighteningly so. Have, have you noticed the change this year at all? 
Uh, I mean, I don't know if I saw you, like, move a muscle on Sunday. <laughs> very comfortable, very satisfied with yourself. Enjoyed that donut. And, and just kind of, well, you know what, I take that back. I saw you get up to get some more coffee or tea or cafe, whatever Cafe, cafe. Some cafe. Yeah. 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 All right. Straight from our brothers. Oh, yeah. From our, from our hookup. Yeah. Our hookup in Columbia. They yeah. sent us all kinds of goods. Mm. Uh, enjoyed a lot of that. Um, but I've noticed watching the Chiefs this year, I just, I just don't get mad. Like, it's just, it's such, at least against, you know, these lesser opponents. Like, uh, obviously the Denver games, Patriots game, early season games, those are all different. Uh, but what we've, what we've had since then is just these games that, you know, we're going to win. We should win. I'm confident that we're going to win. And so much so that I, I watch the games, I don't even get mad. Like, I just, you know, a ref misses a call. Who cares? Hitchens picks up stupid penalties, so what? Three penalties on one play? That's that's fun. Weird intentional grounding rule? Sweet. Something I can research later. It's just like, everything just bounces right off of me. And I, and I kind of check Twitter a little bit. I try to stay off it during games sometimes. And I just see people get mad about missed calls or stupid, you know, plays, whatever. And I'm just like, I, I, don't, I can't get mad. Like, I just cannot get mad at the team watching right now. So it's just... Mm. It's changed the uh, viewing experience so much for me that uh, it's, it's kind of interesting. I can't believe how fast that has happened. Like, this wasn't the case last year when I was watching games. I mean, obviously went through a stretch that, you know, wouldn't... There was, there was pl- ample opportunity to get mad watching games uh, through the heart of 2017. Uh, but this year, I don't know why. It's just I'm, I'm comfortable, like you said, with the team. Not so much with myself, but with the team. Yeah. Very comfortable. Uh, I don't see that... Well, and if that you, dip and play coming. Yeah. I mean, and, and if, if you wanted to have, like, some micro discussions, like, I guarantee I could get you riled up talking about Anthony Hitchens' contract or, or you know, a few yeah. other things. And, and, no, no, you're starting to feel good? No. It's, no, but it's just... Middle like, of the season right. Dirk here. Off-season yeah. Dirk just ain't mad about those things. So, I mean, to kind of piggyback on this, and, I mean, I don't... I don't know if this is the like the best anecdote for what it is that you're trying to articulate here, but I mean, I'm I'm really in like like the home stretch of this semester. Um, I basically have like a week and a half before we leave for Mexico City, and when we have that week long break. Um, over Thanksgiving, we come back and there's only two weeks left in the semester and I have like nothing due those last two weeks. It's like everything is due in the, in the next, you know, eight or nine days, right? And on, on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, this weekend, my little sister is in a musical at her high school and like, this is a big deal. It's, it's a big deal. I gotta go. <laughs> There aren't enough drugs on the planet to make that enjoyable. So I... Not even our Colombian brethren can help us out with that one. <laughs> um, so I, instead of... Because I work Friday, Saturday, I have to go to the Sunday show. You want to know what time the musical starts on Sunday? Uh, during our glorified scrimmage with the Arizona Cardinals? Starts at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So hopefully... Uh, around halftime, game's over. <laughs> Thirty-five to nothing, and I'll get to go sit down and watch that. But I mean, Sporting has a playoff game too, and and I don't know. Like I, but I am at least as far as like specific to this game against the Cardinals, and I felt the same way uh, against the Browns, and I'm probably going to feel the same way both times that we play the Raiders in December. 
Um, like I don't, I don't have really any fear of losing. And, and I think that like, at least where I'm at right now, and I, I was sort of arriving at this place, even I, I guess probably after like the first six games or so, especially after Cincinnati going to the game and just kind of seeing it in action. It's just like, we're just, we're, we're better. We're better than all but maybe three teams in the league. And those teams, it's just like, that's the any given Sunday for the Chiefs. And, you know, you're talking about the Saints and the Rams and the Patriots. And outside of that, like, I don't, I'm not worried about playing anyone. And even with those teams, I'm not particularly scared about playing them. Well, no, I, I, I don't think most Chiefs fans are, are probably scared of any team right now. Uh, there are a few other teams that, you know, I'd, I'd be super into the game, but uh, at least half the league is just no threat whatsoever. I mean, it's even, it's, it's situations during the game that, you know, I'd, you'd typically get scared. I mean, I'm the guy who was scared up 28 points against the Colts in the playoff. Like, I just, I just fret over big leads. Uh, I never think any game is out of reach. I'm just always kind of worried. And yet, we got, we got all these penalties coming against us. We got a, a made-up offsides call against D. Ford, negating a fumble. The Browns scoring a touchdown to make it 21-15 going into half. Like, oh man, they could make a run here. And I'm just not even not even a thought in my mind that we're going to lose this game. Like, yeah, we're going to score a touchdown in this first drive of the second half, and that's it's just going to be pouring it on you. The three of us that, that watched it together on Sunday, hey Dave, um... I mean, I don't think that there was even discussion about the Browns, we just, you know, cutting the game to a to a, a single score. We mostly joked and had a good time, and in that process, missed some, you know, big time plays. We got Mahomes just falling face first while completing a pass, while we're just having a casual conversation and just like, oh yeah, there goes Mahomes again. There, there he goes. Yeah, I mean, I I distinctly remember at one point, at least myself, bringing up how ridiculous. I thought the AFC East is every year and that that has led to the Patriots dynasty is like they don't have any divisional competition and they haven't the entire time that Tom Brady and Bill Belichick have been there. I mean, like that's the kind of stuff that's happening during a Chiefs game. (laughs) I'm not, and it's, it's weird because I think it's become like the Chiefs are for me, they're very exciting um, and it is in in so many ways like must see TV. Like I want to watch Patrick Mahomes, but like I'm not glued to it. But it's different. It's different. Yeah. It's not. There's no like you know anxiousness that's coming with it. Usually it's just like a three hour like putting your emotions on the line kind of thing. Yeah. And this is more just like. Oh, cool. Chiefs game's coming up. I'm going to watch us put up a ton of points and, you know, look at our fantastic team that we've built here. It's pretty It's more just like a, watching it and marvel. Yeah, Sunday's just going to be fun. <laughs> and and hopefully that's the case until, you know, we're 50 years old. Yeah. And, and also, I didn't even think about the game, really, up until, you know, 30 minutes before the end. Like, oh, hey, cool. We're playing the Browns. They got a lot of Chiefs things going on. Like, this, I, I enjoy the Browns. This is going to be fun. Baker Mayfield out there. Like, it's going to be a fun game. Usually it's just like... Man, are we gonna win this week? I gotta break down this and this and this, and it's just none of that. So yeah. it's kind of weird uh, watching watching a new era of Chiefs football here. Freeing, you know, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, uh, I think eventually we'll miss the, uh, you know, well, I mean, the intensity of those big games. Although, although really, you could just look at it as the intensity is shifting from October and November to January. 
Yeah. Because those are going to be as intense of football games as we've ever watched. I was going to say, I mean, you know, you, you talked about, like, being afraid up 28 points. And I can guarantee if the Chiefs are up 28 at halftime of a playoff game, you are going to be a nervous wreck. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, that's, yeah. that's just how... I thought you were going to say I was going to be comfortable this no, time. No, no I will no, still be a wreck. Right back I will still to, be a wreck. Uh, to standard his dirtness. Um you know, the other thing to keep in mind, too, though, is that, like, as this plays out over the next, you know, innumerable years that Patrick Mahomes is the Chiefs quarterback, um, a lot of, like, how the week-to-week stuff ends up playing out for us as Chiefs fans, it depends on the development of other quarterbacks. Um, you know, one guy that we had all kind of assumed that he's going to be tied to for his career is Deshaun Watson. Um, Which is looking like the most likely first or second round matchup with the Chiefs. It's probably going to be, well, as of now, it'd be a Texans-Chargers game uh, winner most likely coming to Arrowhead. Well, and and Watson and and the Texans have won six games in a row. um, And, and, you know, they lose Will Fuller and then they gain Demarius Thomas. And so, I I mean, it's not like a a like-for-like uh, move there, but it doesn't create this crater in their offense. Um, and I, I heard a stat that J.J. Watt has like nine sacks in his last six games. I mean, the Texans are coming on. And the Chiefs don't play them this year because they finished in different spots. But, I mean, we're, we're probably going to be, that's the kind of stuff that we're going to be looking forward to on the schedule is if the Chiefs, with Patrick Mahomes, are finishing in first place every year. It's who are the other first place teams, and every year we're going to get to see Deshaun Watson. You know, every year we might get to see Sam Darnold. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I but hey, Darnold. But it, it really does. It, in many ways, it's just going to depend on on who the Chiefs' opponents are, and and ultimately, I think what's going to happen is you know, provided Mahomes is anywhere near the level that he's playing at right now for the rest of his Chiefs career, it's going to be we get five or six games a year during the regular season that we're going to be excited for, and the other ten is just going to be like, well, we're going to win. And you know it you know, as soon as the schedule is released, essentially. You're just going to feel like confident. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's not a bad existence as a football fan. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. All right, so Chiefs offense... A few things that they've uh, on pace here, just to give you a, a broad scope of the Chiefs, where they're at, you know, all time. Uh, how about third? They're on pace to be the third highest scoring offense of all time. Uh, they're on pace to be the fifth all time in total yards, although they're only third in total in, in yards per game this year. Is that behind New Orleans and the Rams? It's actually Tampa Bay and the Rams. Tampa Bay has some offensive stats that you would not believe. Hmm. Uh, But they are all kind of trending towards being uh, one of the top offenses of all time. Uh, A few people passed some other fun stats today. Uh, Our guy Ryan Ewing said the 2018 Chiefs already have the same number of offensive touchdowns as the 2017 Chiefs did. Oh. Um, Through through nine weeks? Through nine weeks. And and it was a really good offense last year. (laughs) They were sixth in scoring last year. Uh, some Harrison Butker stats to show the offensive dominance. Uh, this is coming from Corey, who's at Silver Five Lighter. So 2017, Harrison Butker kicked 28 extra points and 42 field goal attempts. 
28 extra points, 42 field goal attempts. 2018, 41 extra points already, 13 more than last year, and only 15 field goal attempts. Uh, so you can see kind of the biggest change that's happened amongst the Chiefs offense, and it's been the red zone. The elimination of the dread zone. Yeah. Uh, they've really just, you know, that's kind of the, maybe the chief complaint of, of Alex Smith's time here, just getting it done in the red zone. Well, and, and uh, Mahomes has really taken that to the next level. And I, we had a lot of complaints, uh, and, and I don't know if we were ever, like, totally willing to just put it at Alex Smith's doorstep. Because, I mean, do you remember the weird storyline about how um, Doug Peterson was getting to call the plays in the red zone for a while? And so then we were thinking, well, Doug Peterson's a bad play caller. And, you know, you, you get all these different, like, uh, you know, inside football sort of conversations that, that start happening about situations that are going on in games and I look at it, and, and before this season started, I remember in, in basically like the season preview type of stuff, um, I mean, I got to give credit where it's due. Nick Wright said that he thought that that was where the Chiefs could improve offensively. He said, you know, I, I, I don't know what to expect from Patrick Mahomes. We all think that he's going to end up throwing about an interception a game. And, and he's, yeah, that was the other thing. He said more interceptions, which looked... Off at first, but now I mean, once you look at the numbers, the interceptions are up. He has six right now. More than that, okay. he's got. I he's he got had... seven in his last five games. Oh, and, and he didn't, but he didn't have any before this. So I think he has seven total. Okay. So, but this week's one was bullshit. Well, I mean, that was the only time I actually did get mad during the game was when yeah. Mahomes threw a pointless interception uh, because you like basically called it. You're yeah. Like, <laughs> he now he's just going to throw a pick. And it just, and, and he, I really and wanted Bucker like, from 60 yards. I was begging for it. And whoever that nameless, faceless defensive back was, like, barely got both of his feet down. Really? Yeah, I saw yeah. someone, like, did he even get both feet down? Like, yeah. should have gone back and reviewed it after the fact. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like. It's expunged. Like don't, don't get me wrong. I, I'm, I'm always, uh, you know, willing to, to give Nick Wright credit. But, like, he was 100% spot on with basically saying, you know, and we we talked about that in the first few weeks of our show. It was like the Chiefs were the sixth best scoring offense in the NFL, and they were like thirty first in the red zone. And you can see that manifest in the fact that Harrison Bucker kicked forty something field goals last year, and and to see those numbers essentially flip flopped. I mean that that's a major difference. Now, granted, the Chiefs still threaten teams outside of the red zone on a regular basis. Um, I'm sure that. It, you know, we haven't done the research, but they probably have uh, some ungodly number of touchdowns outside of 20 yards or 30 yards or 40 yards or 50 yards. Chunks. Um I, I mean, like, that's, that's just, they're, they're, they're capable of beating you a lot of different ways. Um, and that efficiency that they show and the variance that they show is, I think, what makes them so, so dominant. Um, and, and put so much fear in, in the opponents that they're playing against. You know, I just realized that I reeled off the stat, like the same number of offensive touchdowns, and it was like 38. Uh, and, and Butker only kicked 28 extra points. I was like, where does that difference come in? I forgot he was not our kicker the whole time last year. Yeah, he missed the first. Yeah. So he missed five games, and we still had 42 field goal attempts in that time. My God. Uh, that, is, that is a ton. Okay, so... We've, we've been working on this. We've established the Chiefs as an all-time offense. 
Um, we've established that we're looking at a, at a bigger sense at the Chiefs team right now. Uh, so what I wanted to do, uh, we're going to have an early, early deep dive this week. We are going to look at the top scoring offenses in NFL history. Running low on water there. Need to change that. <laughs> I mean, for my for my dive. Um, okay, so I broke down um, the fifteen highest scoring offenses of all time, um, and I wanted to see how they did in the playoffs. Uh, every one of them made the playoffs, um, so I wanted to see. But I knew a lot of them like didn't have that much playoff success. So I wanted to look at where these teams went wrong like where where could the Chiefs go wrong here in January like is this is this offense going to last you know through the playoffs and, and into the Super Bowl kind of thing uh, so breaking it down first off the top eight scoring offenses of all time none of them won the Super Bowl interesting none of them won the Super Bowl the highest scoring team to win the Super Bowl was the 99 Rams um, only three of the 15 teams won the Super Bowl uh, looks like we got one two three four five Five others went to the Super Bowl and lost. Um, so I wanted to look at where these teams... What, what happened? Why, why did they all lose in the playoffs? Like, there's all these great offenses. You'd think they'd have more success. Um, in, in the games they lost, and these are teams that all averaged over 30 points a game in the regular season. In just the games that these teams lost in the playoffs. So we're looking at 12 games here. They averaged 19 points per game and 2.75 turnovers per game. So these high-powered offenses got held to only 19 points per game. And the biggest route, if you look at the turnovers here, we got 4, 4, 2, 5, 5, 1, 3, 3. Uh, and, then, and then 1, 3, 1, 1. I got, I got a further breakdown coming here. But. Yeah. Just to give you an idea, so, so the offense has really failed, and turnovers was the biggest reason why, which is, which is kind of interesting. It's just, I don't know if they start to struggle, and then they start to press, and that's that which what leads to mistakes. I don't know if playoff football is just more matchup dependent, and there's just more game plans that go into it, so these offenses are just able to get scouted over the entire season, and that's what slows it down. I don't know if it's a weather thing. I don't really have any answers other than most of these top offenses didn't get it done come playoff time. And that's where they that's where they failed. Because defense wins championships, Dirk. They do. Jeez. They do. Uh, so the, the further breakdown here, uh, the Patriots are kind of the exception here. So they have four teams on this list, um, and none of them won the Super Bowl. So uh, that's kind of weird. In their, in their playoff losses, they scored 14, 13, 17, and 21. And they only turned the ball over 1, 3, 1, and 1 time. So for some reason, the Patriots didn't have that huge problem with turnovers, but couldn't score the ball when they lost in the playoffs, uh, which I thought was, was kind of interesting. So if you take the Patriots out, they actually averaged 3.3 turnovers per game, the other teams that lost in the playoffs. So with New England, and, and I don't know if you can rattle these off, but I mean, two of them are Super Bowl losses to the Giants. Yep. And we know what happened. Ravens and Jets. Okay. We know what happened in those games where basically... The Giants' defensive line completely took over. Yeah. Um, and and if Tom Brady didn't have time to get the ball out, then they're not going to be able to score points. I get. I mean, you could kind of argue that in each of the games. I mean, even with the Ravens and Jets. I mean, and yeah, and that's, all pretty good defenses. Maybe not all time defenses, really. 
because those Giants weren't. I mean, statistically, I don't think they were great, but like if you kind of look at like just their defensive line, it's just like that's yeah. that's what did it. Like just all these studs on the defensive line. And I don't I don't remember them losing to the Ravens. Like my Ravens playoff memories are throwing the ball over that one guy's head in the Denver game and then Lee Evans dropping a touchdown. Like those those are those are what I remember. So I I don't I I can't remember New England specifically losing to them, but I would imagine against the Jets, that's in that stretch of Rex Ryan defenses where I I mean, I think the Jets were in the top five in, in total defense for four or five years in a row. Mm-hmm. So that I mean Top you know, five it defense. certainly validates. It's kind of interesting. A lot, a lot of a long history of top defenses beating top offenses in the playoffs. I mean, the top scoring team on the list is 2013 Denver. Mm-hmm. They scored eight points, had four turnovers in the Super Bowl, moving to the Seahawks. Seattle, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, second team on the list, 07 Patriots, only 14 points in that Super Bowl. It's just, it's kind of weird to see these these huge offenses get really bottled up when it comes to playoffs. Um, so I wanted to see if that was uh, a. a in totality for the playoffs, like did all these offenses struggle during the playoffs, or was it just in the games they lost? Um, in their playoff wins, they averaged thirty-five point seven points per game. Uh, so thirty-five point seven points per game in their wins, and nineteen points per game in the losses for all these top offenses, uh, which is which is pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean that's talking about basically three scores. I mean, it's it's two if you get touchdowns and two-point conversions both times. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's three scores. Uh, uh, go ahead. I, what I'm curious about, and I don't know if you did this research or not, what I'm curious about now is in terms of the current best defenses in the NFL through nine weeks, like, where do those teams even stand in terms of of the playoffs and like you know who are they like we could say Baltimore I don't know if Baltimore is in the playoff picture right now after losing two straight no they got a losing record now and and I mean I think that I think they lost four straight haven't they I mean they're four well, and five I, right now I I know that they've lost two straight yeah. and it could be longer than that I just know that they've lost back to back to Carolina and uh and Pittsburgh then on Sunday um but I mean I I look at the playoff teams in the AFC um, at least the ones that I know off the top of my head, and the only one that I feel like has a defense that that could take over a game potentially is Houston, um, and that's just because yeah. of what they have. Chargers, maybe. I mean, maybe it, it depends on Bosa, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I don't think without Bosa they can. Um, it, it might also be a foolish exercise because the NFL has just changed so much, right? Uh, as kind of evidenced by their, how there is no good defense, and there's still for some teams seven games to play. I mean, like there, there's a lot of a lot of football left, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, to conclude this, uh, the funnest point of this deep dive into these top fifteen scoring offenses of all time, the youngest quarterbacks on the list. Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers, both 28, is the youngest quarterback on the list. list. Uh, Mahomes is currently 23, if you were keeping score at home. Uh, Youngest QBs in the Super Bowl history, Roethlisberger, 23, uh, Brady, 24, Russell Wilson, 25. Uh, Those those are the youngest winners. Mm -hmm. Uh, But looking at each of those teams, defensive-led teams, not led by their offense like this current Chiefs team is. So they 
almost be like nobody else in NFL history. Uh, a few of the young losers in the Super Bowl, Dan Marino at 23, who is actually two days younger than Patrick Mahomes. So Mahomes will not be the youngest quarterback if he makes the Super Bowl by two days. He was born two days, like September 15th and 17th for Marino and Mahomes. Uh, and then Kaepernick at 25. So those, those are all the youngest quarterbacks to make the Super Bowl. Uh, so just an idea of what we're looking at, an idea of what these top offenses did in the playoffs, an idea of what's going to take for the Chiefs to do it. And it seems like just, I guess a lot of these top teams could do it. Because all the top teams we've mentioned, the, the Tier 1 of NFL teams with the Patriots, Chiefs, Rams, and Saints, they're all kind of trending towards all-time status. Uh, I think the Chiefs are the highest scoring offense. Is that correct? They're number one according to pro in football, points. Pro okay. Football reference that I looked at today. So yeah, that's kind of interesting. I, I mean, it, it almost just comes down to if they can execute come January, mm-hmm. uh, and what would stop them from executing in January. Uh, and I don't have. I mean, we could discuss it if you want. I don't have a lot of theories. I know weather gets cold, and just matchup. I mean, kind of stuff I've already kind of mentioned, but uh, just something to keep an eye on. Uh, just past precedence for what this Chiefs team is and what it's going to take in January. It's, I mean, do you see this Chiefs team putting up a dud like that in the playoffs? It's hard to see now, obviously, but it would have been hard to see for any of these teams. Uh, so it's it's kind of interesting to see, um, you know, foresee what we might get out of the Chiefs in January. Well, I mean, my my first thought is kind of what I said, like like who are the playoff teams that have a defense that can do that? Because I mean, I saw you uh, in- engaging the other night with uh, with uh, Justice Mosqueda, and he's doing stats that I can't even wrap my mind around. <laughs> um, but you you basically were kind of asking him to summarize what does this mean or whatever. And and ultimately, on on one of those exchanges, I saw him basically saying like, "There isn't a good defense in the NFL right mm-hmm. now." Like, there's, there's not one that actually exists. And really, with the stats he was doing, the Cleveland Browns uh, had one of the top pass defenses in the NFL, and the Chiefs just absolutely shredded it. Well, so here, I mean, let's think about this a, a couple different ways. Number one, I don't have it in front of me. I can find it. Um, but the Chiefs' pass defense, in terms of DVOA, they're in the top half of the league. I saw somebody put up the, the stat last week. That, I yeah, it was 13th. like 13th. I mean, that speaks to some of the things that we've talked about with the corners playing a lot better than I think anyone expected. Um, but the Chiefs are like 20th in scoring defense. And, you know, the, if they're 13th in, in pass defense DVOA, which is what, what, you know, people really seem to like that stat. I think the DVOA is the stat that that tends to kind of rise to the cream of the crop. That's um, a pretty good measurement. Well, I mean, so it's interesting because I because I had heard things about the Browns' defense being good, <laughs> like they have a top pass defense, and I so I mm-hmm. you know look at you know traditional stats and they're like twenty eighth in total defense. Like, yeah. what the hell are they talking about? Yeah. Uh, so that's I don't know if the Browns' defense is good. Uh, I wouldn't. I mean, no defense is really good, I guess, but you know, are they are they closer to top five or bottom five? I don't know which one of those I believe more. Yeah, well, and I probably somewhere in the middle. But you know, DBO is just another metric to look at. I think it's it's pretty informed. And I and I mentioned to you guys anecdotally before the game started, I had heard a couple different people from Cleveland talking about the Browns' defense, and essentially saying like they're actually very good. And they create a lot of turnovers, 
but the offense is not sustaining drives, and so the defense is exhausted. And and they've also played more than an extra game because they'd already played like five overtime games or something, you know, entering Sunday. So um, a lot of a lot of extra snaps and a lot of extra time on the field, which is something that we were a little bit worried about with the Chiefs defense for a while, but they figured out you know, how to get off the field on third down pretty often. The, the question that you asked was, can, can we see the Chiefs offense having a dud like this? Um, and, and I didn't do the, the kind of research that you did, and you probably didn't look at, like, every game that each one of those teams played. But what would be interesting is figuring out what those highest-scoring teams in the league, in league history, what was their lowest point total of the year? Like, was that loss in the playoffs the fewest number of points that they had scored in a game that year, or was there another time that they'd had a low total? Because if you look at the Chiefs' output, 27 is the fewest number of points the Chiefs have scored in a game so far this year. And it's so hard to see them scoring less. It's so hard. Like, who's going to stop this team? I mean, in terms of what is left on the schedule... The Chiefs have opponents in the Rams and the Ravens and the Chargers, technically, that may have a shot at doing that. But, I mean, you certainly don't expect... I mean, I guess Seattle. I think that Seattle's defense has been playing yeah. fairly well, and you're going to Seattle you know, in December. We're playing that game on Festivus. Hey! Um, but There's my man with some Seinfeld knowledge. But, I mean, we're talking about the Cardinals, the Raiders twice... I mean, like those. I guess there are technically with the Rams and the Ravens and the Chargers and the Seahawks. Like there are four options that you could see the Chiefs maybe scoring fewer than thirty points. Well, let me let me cross the Rams off that list right now. They they ain't holding us under twenty seven. Not in that game. I don't see that happening either. Maybe it was different circumstance, a different style of game. But both both teams are just going to be such fast break. Offense is going on. It's just it's just going to be high scoring. Even if there are defensive stops, there's going to be high scoring. And I I I definitely agree with that. Um, the only way that that game isn't you know played in in the sixties as far as like a total <laughs> um, where both teams are are over thirty, um, I would think the only way that happens is due to the altitude. Mm-hmm. But you got to keep in mind that both teams have already played in Denver this year. Um, and Mexico City is a few thousand feet higher than Denver. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, We're going to be higher in Mexico than we were in Denver. Yeah. And way higher than I am in Kansas City. <laughs> that's, that's crazy to think about. That's uh, why I'm going to get my prediction on the, on the record right now. Everyone else is going to be zagging on this game. I'm, I'm sticking firm. 13-10 Chiefs oh, yeah. going, into, going into Mexico City. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean... Based on no logic whatsoever, just because it wouldn't make any sense, and that's that's why I'm thinking. The the factors where the the Chiefs' offense could end up having a poor game. I mean, it is kind of the formula that that you end up seeing from those best offenses in NFL history. It's turning the ball over. Yeah, because we haven't we haven't seen that game from Mahomes, and that's not to say that. He's, he's still destined to have it. But I think we've kind of been waiting for it and, and maybe just forgot that we were waiting for it. Um, because, I mean, at least 
even even when you end up losing the Patriots game, like didn't he, he threw two picks against Denver? Maybe like I think two. The Patriots was two. Okay, and so, another game with two. Yeah. So I mean, he's had a couple games. Where Jags was two. Jaguars so, and Patriots. Right. And, and so, but I mean, we've seen games where it's like, wow, Mahomes did, did not actually look all that great today, and we still scored thirty, and we still you know won, or I guess narrowly lost to New England. Um, and and so like we don't really know like what what the bad game from Mahomes could be because right now what it looks like is a, a bad game could yeah, look like, bad statistically but it doesn't it doesn't really what's his floor right I don't know um, and and I mean before the season and don't get me wrong like I was also in a place where I was terrified that the Chiefs could end up losing their first six games based on the opponents and not knowing what Mahomes and the offense were going to end up looking like but. I mean, I I think I said that the Chiefs were going to lose at least two games this year based on Mahomes just turning the ball over. Like he's going to go out and be too reckless, and we're going to lose twice. I mean, and, and a lot of that Does was Patriots apply to that or no? Um, I don't think so. I would say no. I don't think so. I would say no. Um, and a lot of that was predicated upon that conversation that we've had about you know you look at the Chiefs' losses last year, and most of them basically fell at Alex Smith's feet. It was him ending the game on a turnover yeah. multiple times. And so it's like, you know, maybe people didn't want to say we lost that game because Alex turned the ball over with a chance to, to go down and win or tie at the end because you'd look at all the other things that led up to that point and say, well, this could have changed or this could have changed, you know. But if you if you really look at it, we were losing games based on turnovers at the end of the game. And well, I think, well, I mean, the, the biggest difference you're seeing is this year, as, as we said, touchdowns instead of field goals, mm-hmm. we're not seeing the last drives. Like, teams yeah. aren't, aren't getting, aren't forcing us into that position. Like, there was the Denver game, there was the New England game. Yeah. Everything else hasn't come down to the very end. And, and, you know, the other thing to keep in mind, too, though, is that with the offense, like, with that effectiveness that you're talking about, scoring touchdowns instead of field goals, it also means that... This Chiefs team, and, and don't get me wrong, like it's always going to be important in the NFL. I'm not trying to say like that the turnovers don't matter, but they certainly matter less with a team that is scoring like this because turnovers, whether the defense gets one or the offense gets one, like if the defense gives the Chiefs a turnover and they get good field position, like that's a bonus. But like we don't need that to win games. No. And if the offense, 95 yards and seven plays. Right. And if the offense turns the ball over, which was so rare with Alex Smith, where he's finishing seasons with five or six interceptions, like, that was how the Chiefs won. They were built to play ball control and to not turn the ball over. And that and, and Andy called plays and, and they built the defense and the offense in a way that, that played to Alex's strengths. And the strength of Patrick Mahomes... It's not not turning the ball over. It's being so electric and lighting up the scoreboard every week that like you can you can negate the turnovers that you do create by just giving him more chances. I mean, it's a completely different brand of football to where I mean, and don't get me wrong, like there could be a game where Mahomes turns the ball over three or four times and it costs the Chiefs a win. But to me, and especially if you want to like really look at like that that Denver game on Monday night, where turnovers really felt like they cost the team and it was pressurized and you have to go down at the end of the game. And, and technically, Denver had the ball 
to, to win, and, and they didn't end up finishing the game. But, I mean, I look at the scenarios in which it has been tight at the end of the game, and the offense has done their job. And and right. the only complaint that you could maybe have was scoring too fast against New York. <laughs> but I mean, but that's I mean, seriously, when it's uh-huh. been pressurized at the end of the game, Mahomes has had basically three opportunities, and it was Denver last year in his first game after he'd already been pulled, and he comes back in and wins. He does it in the drive against Denver at Mile High on Monday Night Football, and then he does it, you know, on Sunday night in New England. Like all three of those are on the road. Under the lights. I mean, two, the, the one last year wasn't, but, you know, I don't know if we have to worry about turnovers. Certainly not as much as we used to, but maybe not even in the way that it cost those historic offenses. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, and to add to your, to your big drives point kind of thing, like when this Chiefs team, you know, when they have their game plan in full force, uh, you look at the drives at the beginning of the game, you look at the drives, the first drive of the second half, and they lead the NFL in scoring in both categories. So it's just like when this team needs a touchdown, when they're prepared, when they know what they're doing, they haven't been stopped. I mean, they've been scoring they've been scoring touchdowns at probably 80% on those drives uh, without having the numbers in front of you. It's just, it's just unreal how efficient they are uh, when, they, you know, when it's an important drive kind of thing. Well, and I don't, I don't know the, the, to start the second half drive stats, but I mean, we went over They led the NFL week. going into last week and then scored a touchdown, so. The Chiefs have still played the NFL. nine games, and I believe they've scored seven touchdowns on their opening drives. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they, they're, they're remarkably efficient starting both halves, as you said, and, and I think that honestly, like, you have to give the defense credit too, because the defense is really stepping up. If you look at it, was twenty-one to fifteen at halftime against Cleveland, and I think the Chiefs, uh, it was either thirteen or fourteen to nothing in the third quarter. You know, when when the defense is, I say only twentieth in scoring, like it, they could certainly be worse, right? But it seems like they they're at least timely. You know, they know when it's important, um, and and it's getting a lead. Um, or or trying to pull away from somebody. And they're certainly giving the offense the opportunities to do that. One guy on the offense that I want to talk about... Well, is first off, first off, I got I to gotta give a hat tip. A hat tip. I got to give a hat tip. Okay. We saw him on Sunday. We're talking about this glorious offense. He gets a bad rap, I think, so I got to stick up for him whenever I can. I saw him up there. He, I, I can't imagine how he was feeling watching that game. Watching what he had put together... <laughs> unfold in front of his eyes and being on the opposing sideline from it. Mm. Uh, and we don't really know the circumstances. We probably never will. I'll probably never be satisfied with any answer that's ever given to me other than, you know, him and Andy just had a split and Andy wins. Uh, and I'm, I'm totally fine with that decision. If that's what it was, um, would have loved to see him stick around. But the man, of course, is John Dorsey. Uh, this offense, he drafted our quarterback, our running back, our wide receiver one, our tight end, our left tackle, and then signed, signed our right tackle, mm-hmm. uh, and then the only the only piece he didn't he wasn't a part of was Sammy Watkins. I mean, and and even though they they weren't on the field on Sunday, he also drafted the center and the right guard. There you go. Um, I mean, John Dorsey is absolutely instrumental in where the Chiefs are at right now. What could that have been like for him? 
watching that. Like, do you think he's just pissed? Do you think he hates the Chiefs? Uh, I mean, do you think he's proud? He's, do you, he probably just wants credit, right? Because I feel like he kind of gets a bad rap. Or maybe, I don't know if that's just locally or nationally. Uh, but he definitely gets a bad rap around here. We kind of play this game now where we give all the draft picks credit to Veach and all the bad ones to Dorsey and, and a few bad contracts at Dorsey. And I, I feel like if I was him, I'd just be pissed because I'd just be like, this is, look, look what I can do. It it sounds a little like tinfoil hat, but I mean, that's just, that's just Chiefs fans like listening to the organization. Right, like. Well, and you want to believe in your team. I mean, you want to you want to think the best. Like, you want to talk yourself into Brett Veach right now. Well, yeah, but like, I think that uh, an an unbiased observer could go and look and say, you know, don't get me wrong. Like, John Dorsey got had a five year track record, and right now Brett Veach has eighteen months. Right, so it's 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 not equal sample sizes yet, Mm -hmm. and we'll have to see how some of Veach's moves play out, but. John Dorsey consistently made really smart acquisitions, and his ability to evaluate talent in the draft He's is just a draft guy. Is as good as anyone. He's just in a draft guy, and that's his number one job as general manager. So it's it's kind of weird. I I think that there are a lot of people that want to say that he mishandled contracts and and things like that, and it's like I I don't think that John Dorsey mishandled contracts for the Chiefs. Any worse than any other NFL GM handles their contracts. Yeah. Any any or worse. our current GM, right? Like I don't <laughs> I don't think that there was some disproportionate amount of failures with the salary cap. Um, and and you know we keep hearing that the Chiefs have been so strapped for money that they haven't been able to do things. And I mean, and yet we have people that in like in the same breath. The same people that complain about John Dorsey not, you know, strapping the team will say, during, you know, during the trade deadline, there's always money. You can always find the money, right? But, but for whatever reason, John Dorsey wasn't able to do that. Like, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't buy that. Big, big John Dorsey fan good, over good, here. Good. Um, I, but I, I, one of the guys in the offense that I really wanted to talk about because I just don't feel like you and I have been able to, or have taken the time to sit back and really appreciate him and and what he's done for this team. Um, you know, in, in the, like, 25 games or so that he's played as a Chief. Um, and I don't have the numbers to put this in context, but I just wanted to take a few moments and have a Kareem Hunt appreciation party. Yes. Let's, um, let's have a moment of silence for Kareem Hunt. Thank you. Yeah, um, I just so Sammy Watkins, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I I think that he is he is the least discussed of the uh, four um, the four horsemen on the on the Chiefs' offense. And the weird thing is that like I just felt myself wanting to react to you saying that. Oh, well, Kareem Hunt's the least discussed of the four horsemen on the offense, and I wanted to be like, that's because he doesn't have like the kind of explosive games at the. Oh wait, yeah, he does. Yeah. Probably more often than any of the others do. Did you did you see the stat? Uh, it was I don't know how many, but it was uh, Kareem Hunt is second in the NFL since the start of seventeen since the start of twenty seventeen with fifty yard touchdowns. Second in the NFL since the start of last year. To who? Tyreek. <laughs> Obviously. 
<laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even think about that. To who? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. The I, guy, didn't, I didn't see the numbers, but I'm the guessing Tyreek Hill averages like 10, 50 yards. And Kareem probably like 5. Right. That's, I mean, but that's still, it's, a, it's an amazing stat. Yeah. Very amazing. I mean, I so like, some of the things that I I think, I don't know if they go unnoticed or if they're underappreciated or what, but like, one of the things that we really enjoyed about the short-lived um, favorite for NFL MVP season of Spencer Ware was the way... I sent them a trophy. <laughs> But it was the way that he ran and the way that he inflicted punishment. Um, I I could be... You'll have to forgive me if I'm wrong on the actual game. But I feel like it was the Bills game that you and I went to in the rain. And Sammy Watkins was embarrassing Sean Smith in the first half. And the yep. Chiefs offense wasn't really doing a whole lot. And it was just like, God, like, are they going to participate today? And I think it was early in the third quarter. Play. They give this this yep. handoff to Spencer Ware, and he gets to the second level and puts his head and his shoulder down the way that Kareem Hunt did just a couple weeks ago against Denver, maybe, and got and got Five. fined for it. Yep. But Spencer Ware, he he lowers the shoulder and inflicts the punishment on the safety and just like runs him over like we've seen Kareem Hunt do dozens of times now, and it. It felt like it completely changed the mm-hmm. attitude that the offense had. Mm-hmm. He was like a spark plug back then, and yeah, and his his are a little bit different than Kareem. I feel, I feel like defenders kind of bounce off Kareem, and Spencer Ware was more like a fucking bulldozer. And you just saw him just, I mean, completely run a guy over like cleats on his chest as he runs the guy over. Uh, and just a uh, yeah, I, I remember the exact play that you're talking about. It was kind of interesting. Uh, my brother actually texted me a weird. Uh, comparison to Kareem Hunt this week that I hadn't heard before. Hmm. Marshawn Lynch. With just his ability to break tackles and kind of kind of just bounce off guys. Like defenders that just come up to him and just don't even really register. It's just like a it's like a Madden missed tackle. It's just like pre-programmed. Like, this guy's not going to make tackles. It's not even going to slow him down. He just, just keeps on moving. Yeah. I mean, I, I see that for sure. The guy that, uh, that Therese compared him to when he was coming out of Toledo into the draft, was Emmett Smith. And he said, like, I know that... He's like, I know (laughs) that this is a really lofty comparison, but just in terms of the way that he uses his body to, like, to never really absorb big hits, he might inflict them every once in a while, but so much of it is about being, especially as a running back, it's about trying to keep yourself healthy. And... Emmett Smith had this way, at least according to Therese, um, of turning his shoulders slightly and knowing how to use the strength that he had to like never really have pain inflicted on him. And that's the thing that I think I find so impressive about Kareem Hunt. You know, people can talk about his his balance um, and, and center of gravity and, and things like that, but to me, it's like. He can he makes guys miss so consistently, and it, dude, he's just he's so impressive. And so here's the thing: one of the major complaints that I've had so far in Kareem's hunt, Kareem, Kareem's hunt, Kareem's hunt, um, in his career so far, one of the major complaints I've had is 
Why do they keep taking him off the field on third down? He's showed that he's very adept as a receiver, um, and so maybe it's a pass-blocking thing. I you have that complaint this year or just in his career? Just in his career so far. It's like I feel like you know last year they kept trying to you know Shark. put someone on the field on third down, and now they've been they've still been doing it with Spencer Ware a little bit. He doesn't get that many snaps. <clears throat> So I, th- I feel like he's probably played more third downs this year, or they just go five wide. They're not playing a lot of third or downs. Or they don't have third downs. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, they had 58 plays and 27 first downs on Sunday, so not a lot of third downs. That is insane. Yeah. 58 plays. 20, 27 first downs on 58 plays. It's almost 50%. Yeah. Almost 50%. I, I bet it was 50% at one point in that game until we started running at the end. Well, uh, the, the thing that I guess I, I am now remembering as I think about it, um, I remember at least one pass play on Sunday where Kareem Hunt was on the field and had a really big block, a big blitz pickup that kept the pocket clean for Pat to be able to throw the ball. And I, I look at a guy that isn't really taking full-time reps and led the NFL in rushing as a rookie and, like, didn't win rookie of the year because Kamara scored a bunch of touchdowns. And, um, I I mean, I think that Kareem Hunt, really, it's not just in Kansas City. Like, I think he's kind of forgotten nationwide a little bit. Um, He's he's not the kind of guy that, for whatever reason, is grabbing headlines. And, dude, he's remarkable. Well, yeah, I mean, you look at him like he is on par with... With um, Alvin Kamara, with mm-hmm. pretty much everything, like statistically, pretty much across the board, they're pre- it's pretty much been you know similarly productive players over the last two years. Uh, but you hear way more about Alvin Kamara than you do. Well, and, Kareem Hunt. and so I'm looking like trying to put some things in context for Kareem Hunt. I look at the Chiefs' all-time list of running backs. Kareem is currently in 17th place. He just eclipsed 2,000 rushing yards for his career on Sunday. He currently sits at 2,010 total rushing yards for his career. So he's 17th overall. And I, wow, mean, I didn't have I didn't know Marcus Allen had that many as a chief. I'm looking at it and saying Kareem Hunt. Greg Hill. Kareem Hunt has 2,000 rushing yards in 25 games. And I look at all these guys that are above him, and like Barry Word at forty-four is like the only one that's even close. Um, and and you know you're talking about guys that are truly efficient when you're getting up into Priest Holmes with sixty-five total games, Jeez. you know, running for six thousand yards. He basically averaged a hundred yards a game. My God. Um, and, and then you've got like guy in the ring of honor, Mike Garrett, you know, 58 total games and he ran for 32, 46, like Kareem Hunt, the pace that Kareem is on is the continued pace that chiefs running backs seem to have where we go from Marcus Allen into ultimately you get, it felt like seamlessly Marcus Allen to Priest Holmes to Larry Johnson to Jamal Charles to Kareem Hunt. And I know <laughs> you're that there glossing, was some, you're I glossing over who Kareem Hunt just passed, one of the best running backs in Chiefs history, Don L. Bennett, leading the running back by committee. Who was number 20 on that list, Ryan? Uh, Alex Smith. Alex Smith! All yeah. right! Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Why is Mike Garrett in the Hall of Fame? Did he, he, didn't, did he die or something? 
I don't I'm, I mean, I'm, think so. I know I mean, we have Joe Delaney. Um, Joe Delaney. But why would he, he's only played five years for us. Why is he in the... Why? why? I don't... He's I just don't. running back during the Super Bowl era and that's, that was good enough? Yeah, I mean... All right. All right. That's fine. Geez. We're going to have to start... You know, we got enough good players right now. We're going to have to start eliminating some guys from the uh, from the old ring of honor to make make room for this whole uh, generation of Chiefs coming in. Well, uh, So, Mike Garrett. Sorry, I'm, I'm sure he's a nice guy. He's probably a great player back then, but... Sorry, dude. We're gonna have to start making room here. We're gonna have what? to. We're gonna have to eliminate the uh, the weak links on the uh, on the ring. I um. The, another thing to to keep in mind about this is that I'm looking specifically at rushing numbers and not like total yards. Total yards. Yep. Um. Because he's been such a threat in the passing game too. I just I just want to. Just six receiving touchdowns. Right, that's yeah. Just want to just, oh, give it up for Kareem. Here's another fun stat. I, I was tweeting today about how I could have deep divin for three days and, and never come up for error. Deep divin. Deep divin. Dove. Uh, but there's so Dive. many records that this Chiefs offense, that Patrick Mahomes, that everybody in the Chiefs offense, that the entire fucking NFL is just on pace to shatter right now. Uh, but a fun one was uh, Kareem Hunt was on pace to be the first player in NFL history with 10 rushing touchdowns and 10 receiving touchdowns in I a season. That. I dig uh, that. So that's kind of fun. Uh, with Kareem Hunt, I feel like... People were down on him coming into this year. Uh, I feel like there were some rumors that spread over a majority of the Chiefs fanalists, if you will, that he was out of shape, mm-hmm. uh, that he had a few problems in the offseason. So I think people were kind of down on Kareem. His first couple of games this year, he didn't look exactly right. Uh, something me and Dave have talked about a few times, and it's just kind of, I think it's just no NFL running back is going to be, you know, at at peak shape in the first couple of weeks because none of them get preseason carries. Mm-hmm. So it's just, yeah. you know, how many preseason carries did he get this year? Probably five. And then, you know, you're thrust into week one and like, oh, you can't just give him the ball 25 times. You have to kind of ease him in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've seen, man, we've seen what he can do now. The last, the last month, Kareem Hunt has been outstanding. That's- yeah, and, and the cool thing with him is that, like, he has elements of his game that you have seen from a number of different great Chiefs running backs. Um, and, and whether that's momentary greatness or prolonged greatness, I mean, I think that Kareem Hunt has shown you the types of skills that you have seen from players like all of the guys on that list that we're looking at. You see Priest Holmes in Kareem Hunt's game. You see mm-hmm. Jamal Charles in Kareem Hunt's game. You see Spencer Ware in Kareem Christian Okoye is what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, but that's the thing is that like he 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 doesn't just beat you one way. You know, we used to talk about how uh, and I can't I don't know if there's a specific player, but like we used to talk about how the Chiefs were so fortunate. I think probably specifically with Jamal Charles, where it's like we always complained about him not getting enough touches or certainly not enough carries. And it was just like, you know, the but you're you're okay because Jamal can beat a team touching the ball six times because he's that electric. Well, Kareem is fully capable of taking thirty-five handoffs and controlling a game, you know, as a runner. Look at his college numbers. That's that was the biggest uh, problem I had with drafting him was how many carries he had in college. Like this dude's gonna be dead by year two or three. Uh, which I, you know, I still think he's going to wear down at some point. I don't think there's too much chance of us giving him a long-term contract. I don't know if any running back gets a long-term contract anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. But uh, yeah, it's it's kind of weird. Yeah, he can definitely 
But he can do it. Carry the load, yes. He can, but but I mean, we're also seeing see that we a lot need of times that. he's only getting, you know, 18 carries and maybe a few catches or something like that. Like, I don't think that Kareem is, like, like really being fed in any of these games. And some of them, if he is, it's because we're up by two scores in the fourth quarter and they're just trying to kill time. And you just, you'd be just as happy to see those carries go to Spencer Ware or Damian Williams or Daryl Williams. Damian. Like you don't it doesn't need to be given to Kareem Hunt at the end of the game. It's not necessary. Yeah. Um and I, I find that uh he I just say I, I just wanted to maybe take a little bit of time and give it up for Kareem Hunt. That's no, good. Good job, buddy. Good job. Twenty seven. We gave him a moment of silence. What more could he want? We did. Um the only I have I only have one other thing on the offense. Yep. Let's do it. Well, you know what time it is, folks. What time is it? It's week nine. The week nine edition of Sammy Watch. Did you see James Andrews was getting sued? Dr. James Andrews was getting sued by Sharif Floyd? Did you see that? I didn't. Okay, so... Didn't we, we had like a diss track on him, didn't we, before? Like a, on a yeah. podcast, we had a, a diss track on James because of yeah. Justin Houston, right? Uh-huh. Was he the reason? Uh, Sharif Floyd suing him because he fucked up the surgery and his career is done. Sharif Floyd... He was drafted like super high by the Vikings, yeah. right? Yeah. Didn't they? Did they take him right after either Pat Williams or Kevin Williams? One of those guys Something retired, like and it was like this is that oh, yeah, yeah. under tackle that's supposed to uh-huh. come in. And I think, I think he, he was good. He like started out well as a rookie, and I think he like got hurt his rookie year. Interesting. It's interesting. See that was come that, back on James Andrews. Fuck that it, guy. Was that knee or foot or? Something? Oh, I mean, I guess knows? it doesn't really matter. Yes. But James Andrews. Well, I wasn't it like. I think that when we did the diss track on him, it was like James Andrews he was is like considered old. Like the only guy in the NFL that's capable of doing these surgeries, and he was like in his 80s or something. Where it was like, really, we can't move past this this same guy, 76 years old. Oh well, okay, well that yeah, I mean 76. That's not. It's too old. Too old. It's probably yeah. He's too old. Kins. Um, so in the week nine edition of Sammy Watch, Kins, um, I wanted to, I looked at, I I wrote down this note from the first possession, um, that he had two penalties on the first possession. Oh, no. One was... We had three on one play, so that's, yeah. that's really not that bad. One was drawing pass interference on a key third down um, that helped extend the drive. It was, like a, it was a pick play, right? Uh-huh. Okay. And then um, there was one against him. And he had a holding know, or a block in the back, and they're on a run. Something like that, right? Um, and and I, I wrote that down as my note, and I didn't end up taking any other notes um, on his day. But I think that probably... And I, we've already sort of covered this in Sammy Watch in a previous week, but I think it was really important to see him after hobbling off the field with the injury and going into the tent and getting checked and doing whatever they're doing that he ended up coming back into the game. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't a fan of seeing him back in the game necessarily, but yes, important to show that it wasn't anything serious. And that's that's my takeaway from Sammy this week is just... <clears throat> The Chiefs have have been pretty fortunate on the injury front so far on offense. Uh, I guess we've lost Larry and, and Morris up front, I guess you could say. Uh, but everything else, I mean, kind of the main... What's-his-face, too? Jordan Devey. I mean, I know he's a backup, but like... We're so, like, three Austin, interior linemen. Austin Ryder at center right now. Who, I mean, 
And I'm, I don't even notice. <laughs> exactly. I don't even notice. Uh, so that's kind of weird. don't but, notice in Mexico. But just, you know, kind of the most important thing, you know, and nobody really wants to talk about it for obvious reasons, but just hoping this team can stay injury-free over the next seven weeks. I just want to see, I want to see this offense at full strength. I don't, I'm tired of having injuries be an excuse for why the Chiefs lose in the playoffs. Like, if we, if we go out there and somebody shuts our offense down and we lose scoring, you know, 24 points or whatever we talked about before, uh, so be it, you know, that's, that's fine. But if we have, you know, someone get hurt from one of those games and we have to use that as a fucking excuse, like we have with all these other playoff games, it's just, I'm, I'm tired of using it. And, and I think that it's key to focus in on the offense in this scenario because they are the dominant unit. What is, what is seemingly continuing to happen so well right now. every time that we do have an injury in the playoffs it's on the defensive side of the ball, yep. which is like the the unit that we know has the really elite capability of of doing things to to carry the team somewhere. And you know whether it's losing Derek Johnson or Eric Berry or Tamba Ali or Justin Houston. I mean, it seemed like every single year you get to the playoffs and you Brandon end up, Flowers, you know, losing a key player on the unit that you really felt like was the one that could carry you somewhere. If the Chiefs ended up, you know losing Anthony Hitchens uh, and I don't think that like oh man the season is over right and and there are maybe a, a couple I would, injuries I would on love defense. to hear someone have that take <laughs> there may be a couple injuries on defense like where you get a little bit scared but like if your offense is still intact like they're they're the ones that set the tone for this team um I I do want to at least add the the qualifier I think I remember someone uh, tweeting out saying that the foot that he injured or tweaked during the game was the opposite foot that he had had surgeries on. Okay. So it was at least so a, he's little got two bit, a little now. bit, yeah, a little bit less <laughs> worry technically um, because as we've been trying to figure out, was it is Eric Berry got the sore heel in the in the Achilles heel it's, or is it the other leg or does it matter? For whatever reason, left and right, like like D Ford lines up on either the left or right side. I have no idea which one is which. I'm, I'm never gonna remember. <laughs> I gotta do like the uh, the L's things where you hold up the L's. Oh yeah. Or you know the Pledge of Allegiance. Like, yeah. Oh yeah, that's my right hand over the heart. Um, a, a very short conversation that I want to have as we transition over to the defense. Um, I want to mention one thing that I feel like occurred to me on Sunday about D Ford, and it's just that. The problem that we keep having inside of the D4 debate is that he's the most valuable defender that we have right now by a pretty wide margin. So, like, we can't really afford to lose him, but we're also terrified of paying this guy. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with just a, a bad track record. Um, injuries and inconsistency. And we had seen D Ford show an ability earlier in his career at different times to be able to create pressure to be able to get after the quarterback. And I think that the biggest difference right now that we're seeing from D Ford is that he's taking the ball away. And if you have a guy that, you know, like Tamba did for a stretch in his career, um, like Derek Thomas was basically known for if when you're getting after the quarterback, many times you're getting the ball loose that, I mean, it basically like doubles in value, right? I mean, because most of the time when you're thinking about turnovers, 
you might be able to force turnovers by getting after the quarterback and pressuring him into bad throws. But if those guys are quite literally taking the ball away themselves, I mean, it just skyrockets what what kind of value, what things they can bring to your defense. And D Ford looks like very capable of doing that. And I don't know that getting a contract changes anything about his speed coming around the edge or him learning some of the counter moves that he has or learning to be able to, to take the ball away from quarterbacks. I think at this point, the only thing that you have to maybe still be worried about with D Ford is whether or not he can stay healthy. Aside from that, like what you're seeing from him this season, he has evolved into a pretty complete football player, way better than I think any of us ever thought he could be. Yep. Um, yeah, so a few things there. Uh, I think that is kind of like the new age defender that you kind of want. Is just, you know, teams... No one's going to really have a solid defensive unit that's just going to go out there and get stops over and over. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's going to evolve into you want playmakers on defense. Mm-hmm. Like, you want guys that can, you know, get a big tackle for loss or take the ball away, something like that. So, D Ford might be like the new age type of defender. Like, okay, you might be able to run at him and, and have great success doing it, but he's going to strip the quarterback, you know, eight mm-hmm. times in the season. And that's, that's a number of big plays. And that's just kind of like, I think... I think that might be where defense kind of goes. You see more defenders like that who really maybe can't hold up at the point of attack or have these other weaknesses that you can exploit, but also they do something that takes the ball away from the from the offense, makes a big play for the defense. Uh, so I think that'll be something to watch. You know, um, you know who you just described is Mar- Marcus Peters. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, just just putting that out there. The artist formerly known as Marcus Peters, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's fine. Are we going to talk about Peters today or some other time? I mean, we can. Okay. I think it would probably be better to like talk about him specifically when it's like it's Rams time. Okay. Right? Okay. Um, so I'll, I'm getting fired up. I'll, I'll I'm fired up. all the shit that I need to because he's had a pretty rough year. <laughs> um, well, a few other things on D. Okay. Uh, we'll get to Peters eventually. Um, his his get off on Sunday was straight Derek Thomas. Like the uh, I haven't seen anyone do this, but just just give me like a stop clock from snap to when he stripped the ball and he fell right on it. Right, mm-hmm. like I, I guarantee, like that's one of the fastest uh, quarterback strips and fumble recoveries you've ever seen. Just from snap to when the f- fumble is recovered, it was probably three seconds, is my guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's you know that's straight Derek Thomas esque. It was unbelievable to watch. Uh, it, the refs didn't even believe it. They just had to make something up. That, right. That, that, that was like the joke I tried to make was that, like, you can't explain how quickly he got there, so you have to penalize yeah, it. Yeah. Um, and and so there is a stat out there, and I think it was Justice Mosqueda that was tweeting about it uh, a week or two ago, talking about like the fastest sacks in the NFL mm-hmm. over the last you yeah, know, yeah. however many years. And it was like, Aaron Donald has all of the top ten. And some of that has to quicker do with, path, quicker yeah, path to the quarterback, yeah, shortest distance between two points. Um, Aaron Donald, my but God. he's also my God. yeah, a complete. The Rams player. have all these names. We we started the Rams preview process. Don't worry, but the yeah. Rams have all these names. Peters has been he's been shit this year. One of my guys, Sue. I feel like he is underperforming. I thought he'd make a, a way bigger impact. 
But Aaron Donald is is the difference maker out there. Like he's the one that's still just a dynamite player. Yeah, he's he's really fantastic. And really, Dante Fowler, who they picked up, was looked really good this week. He I don't, I don't know how much of that game you got to watch, but he made I didn't watch. he made a few plays back there enough to scare me. I'll say that. So the the guy that like uh, I I mentioned at the top, there were three guys I wanted to talk. Well, about hang on, today. one last thing on on D Ford. Okay. I know we've talked about D Ford a lot, but just no. one last thing. I was watching the Cowboys game last night, and I was it kind of came to me. D Ford has a really strong comparison in the NFL. It's Demarcus. Another D, D Marcus Lawrence, and I was kind of like, man, I haven't heard his name at all this year. Uh, oh, he's and just still to, very good. Demarcus Lawrence. It looks like rookie year maybe didn't play or didn't have many stats. Then went eight hurt. sacks, one sack in nine games, and then contract year exploded to fourteen and a half sacks. Yeah. And he got paid very handsomely last offseason, correct? Nope, he's on his fifth year option, just like Oh, he's on his fifth year option right now. So he's, you know, They're in the same he's still in a contract class. season. Okay. I don't know if you remember, but like Demarcus Lawrence was the guy I wanted the yeah, Chiefs yeah, to yeah. take. For sure. Right? For sure. Um, uh, I was thinking he got paid this offseason, so I thought that was kind of an no. interesting case study uh, against D. Uh, but so he's in another contract year with him, so he's at six and a half sacks through uh, eight games this year. So he's being productive, even though you're not hearing his name as much as other teams. It's just Dallas, not that good this year. Um, the three guys I wanted to talk about today were Kareem Hunt, which we've done, and the other two are on the defensive side of the ball, and it's Breland Speaks and Kimball Fuller. Um, I'm going to talk about Chris Jones, too. Okay. Well, so Kendall Fuller is a brief thing, and so I'm just going to kind of get it out of the way. It's just like one thought. Um I think Kendall Fuller seems to be finding his groove on defense. Um, he's he's definitely not having the same number of where I feel like what was that sort of plays. Um, I still don't have any explanation for the Julian Edelman touchdown where Kendall Fuller like didn't even move his feet. Um, well, someone messed up their assignment. It wasn't. I don't think it was a bad play. It was a messed up assignment, which is a whole different problem. But not not and not uh, a shot at Kendall Fuller, the player. I would say. So, I'm 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 trying to figure out because I'm always looking ahead, um, like what what the Chiefs' plan has to be outside of Kendall Fuller, right? Um, we mentioned last week that Stephen Nelson being in a contract year that essentially like you're kind of Stephen Nelson is a guy that we need to watch for the rest of this season to figure out like can we survive with Stephen Nelson and Kendall Fuller and then whoever your other corner is. Um, and, and the, the thing that I'm, I guess what I want to say is that as upset as I was to lose Marcus Peters and as much as I wanted the chiefs to go out and get Patrick Peterson as badly as I want the chiefs to have like one of those shut down dominant style cornerbacks. I'm really starting to buy into the general manager, first name his, last name Dirkness, mid-level argument for a Bob Sutton defense. Sup? I'm looking at having three, like, you know, C-plus to B-plus sort of players that are all pretty equal. You can't really attack any one of them because they're all, like, like average to maybe above average NFL players and like there's not a weak spot at corner and the fear obviously right now is the lack of depth that they have at that spot and and maybe they do decide in the offseason to bring in a veteran to replace Skandrick um, and, and maybe draft a corner with one of those first three picks 
Um, you know, they may take a corner in the first round, but like, I don't think that we need to have that elite level corner and that, and maybe like if we do have that elite level corner, there are ways that it, it may not help. And I know that that sounds really weird. And it's something that I think is a thought experiment that's going to be difficult for us to flesh out, especially like in season. But it's just something that I feel like I'm kind of coming around to as I watch these three guys play together. Because there's there's something about Nelson Fuller and Skandrick that is working. And, and I think probably the weirdest part about it is that all three of them have played their best years in the slot... None of them are really built to play outside, and yet two of the three of them at all times are playing on the outside, and they're playing it successfully. I don't know how to explain it. I really don't. Um, I'm unwilling to give Bob Sutton credit for it. But there's something that's happening with the Chiefs' corners, and, and everyone is like recognizing it in small doses, and I'm trying to piece together in my brain like what it is ultimately means for the team. And that's where I'm saying, like, I think maybe I'm just kind of coming over to, to that idea of yours. And yes, I don't know if that really is the solution, if that really is the explanation for it, but like, I'm, I'm just try, I'm trying to figure out what's happening. Yeah. For those that don't know, I mean, the theory is centralized around the idea that having a good second and third corner is more important than having a great number one corner because the chiefs cornerbacks never travel. So you always know where they were. So our biggest complaint when Marcus Peters was here you knew exactly where he was going to be. You could throw your worst receiver out at his side and just never even worry about it. And teams picked us apart that way. Uh, so that's that was kind of the, uh, the centralized idea of that theory. And it does kind of seem like Bob Sutton... I mean, he had to be one of the leaders in getting rid of Marcus Peters this offseason. And it seems like he had an idea in mind of what type of corner that he wanted to get. Uh, and the ability to play slot and maybe just be more versatile like that uh, plays into that. I was talking with uh, Craig Stout about, you know, what, what was the biggest difference between uh, this year's defense and last year's? And he said they're playing much more zone than they did last year. Like last year was just like a typical single high uh, man-to-man style defense. And we're seeing a lot more zone this year. And the zone is actually, it started out the year being terrible. And then over these last six weeks, it's gotten really good to the point where we're actually better in zone right now than we are in man. And the funny thing about that is that you had Brett Veach and Bob Sutton and then everyone that covers the Chiefs in any capacity talking about how, oh, the Chiefs are going to be playing exclusively man defense they're going to be pressing yeah. at the line. Yes. They're going to be way more aggressive. Somebody and plugged they in. wanted to change the personnel. Yeah. And somebody plugged in started that. I want to say it was Therese was kind of writing about how they want to go back to a, <laughs> a press uh, single high type of press man single high type defense and get more into that, which is kind of interesting because uh, one of the talking points around Peters, uh, one, of the, one of the people that's kind of says like, hey, the Rams aren't using him right right now, is that he prefers to play off ball. He prefers to play 10 yards off the line and look at the quarterback and diagnose the play in front of him. Mm-hmm. How the Rams are using him right now is traveling with the number one receiver, and he's lining up right on the line of scrimmage in man-to-man against the top receivers in the NFL. And it's just its kind of interesting that that doesn't suit him, and maybe Bob Sutton knew 
how to get the most out of Marcus Peters. And that's kind of a working theory, and I'm not buying into that totally right now because that's, I mean, that's... It's also tough. That's a huge change in, in thought process here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's at least on the table right now that Bob Sutton knew how to get the most out of Marcus, how to best utilize Marcus Peters. And Wade Phillips right now, at least through only nine games, uh, is not using him to the best of his abilities right now. It's possible. It's kind of tough not having a keep to leave when that's the way that you built your defense. You built your defense to have Peters and Tlaib and then have the pass rush, you know, that you're getting from the interior pressure. But he just prefers to play man-to-man. Like, I, I feel like he doesn't, you know, they probably each have their own philosophies, and mm-hmm. Wade Phillips is a press man-to-man coverage, which with Aqib Tlaib and Chris Harris, they seem to thrive off that and, and be that type of corner. I mean, not all corners are the same. Maybe Marcus Peters is... We always kind of wondered if that was a Bob Sutton thing or a Marcus Peters thing. Like, why is he always off-man here, and he kind of give up those five-yard completions really easily... Uh, and it would annoy people. Like, why isn't he up on the line more? Well, you know, maybe we have our, our answer to that now. So, one thing that, and this is just a hypothesizing, but you have to imagine that this adjustment that's made by Bob Sutton into what Craig South says is we're, we're playing a lot more zone. Yeah. Um, I almost wonder if he just thought it up on the fly. Like, it almost happened by accident or something. Well, it's either based on injuries or it's, it might, I mean, maybe just the bottom line to me is it's personnel. If he didn't feel like he had the guys, and primarily because of injuries, when you end up losing every player on your defense that you feel comfortable with playing single high safety, well, yep. now I have to yep. play two guys back there. Now I have to figure out how to play zone, and, and like we're just going to have to do this because we don't even have somebody that can play that position. Yep. And you know maybe if they either if if guys wouldn't have gone down, you know maybe if Armani Watts is healthy, they're not playing a lot of zone right now. You know maybe if they would have been able to acquire Earl Thomas, they're not playing a lot of zone right Definitely. now. Definitely. Um, and because that would have been about when it changed, at least for the good. And when we started playing more zone and started playing it better. And that's the thing is that, you know, they're, the, the problem that the defense still has is in communication and occasionally in, I would say, ability. Because you still end up getting mistakes and some of them are communication mistakes where I thought you were going to be here and I was supposed to do this. But so many of these, like, dude, they've had so many bodies come in and out of this defense um, that that's going to be tough. It's going to take some time to get continuity out there. But, I mean, you also can't neglect that Ron Parker has trouble getting to certain spots on the field. And different guys are going to have brain farts, whether it's because of being youthful or not having played in this system or what. Like, there, there are plenty of mistakes that happen on that side of the ball. One of the guys that we were all really worried about, and I think that based on this conversation, he's kind of like the perfect picture of what's happening on defense as they're like the defense seems to be getting better. Breland Speaks is the poster boy for this right now. Like, look, I, I, I'm just gonna say that I'm starting to like Breland Speaks. Um, I have. And entering this offseason, I was adamant about what I, I have always kind of pounded the table for, letting young guys play 
and develop on the field by making mistakes and learning from them. But having to play at game speed and, and having to like figure it out because it's not, it can't just be practice and watching film and not letting your body go through the motions. You know, this is a huge complaint that we've had for a number of different defensive guys because of the way that they don't get to be physical in practice anymore. Well, I guess the thing that I'm now recognizing was that I just never really gave Breland Speaks a chance. Like, it was just like, I, I for, for any player, it was like, I, you just get them on the field. Just put them out there, let them get snaps, let them learn, let them develop, let them play. But with Breland Speaks, that was not the case for me. I was like, no, I don't, he's not ready. Because you're upset about the and, draft. And, and, and so the draft is probably, they trade up to pick a guy, and I'm like, who the hell is this? Yeah. And then I see the guys that start going after him, and it's like, you know, Jesse Bates, a guy that a lot of people liked that plays safety for That's weird. I don't know anybody that likes him. Um, yeah, no, don't know. <laughs> um, but like Jesse Bates went kid. where the Chiefs picked, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and you start seeing some of these guys, um, and and some of them performing well, and and the names that people like, and that compounds the frustration with the pick. Well, Breland Speaks is winning me over a little bit at a time. Um, I think everybody should be able to see at least in some way, and and whether it's that he is landing on the ball when D Ford jars it loose from the quarterback. Um, Damn, what was our theory last week? It's just um, like, a, oh, he has a he has a he has a dog at home. Yeah, and he beats him to the food on the on the floor. Yeah, yeah. oh yeah. yeah. Um, but Breland speaks like I think that everyone can see that he is clearly benefiting from the reps that he's getting. I think that he's playing better against the run. I think that he's got a little bit more awareness. He's he's like a part of gang tackling. I saw a couple plays on Sunday against Cleveland where I actually like got to see the nasty demeanor that I complained about not seeing from him yet. Um, he's not on the, he's not on the ground anymore. I mean, is I mean, half of his first twenty pass rushes he just ended up flat on the ground? Like yeah. he just just immediately went to the ground. So and. and it's not like we hated Speaks for for no reason at the start of this year. He sure. was he was bad to start the year, he uh, but he's uh, very obviously improving throughout the year. I think he's starting to turn the corner, both literally and figuratively, hey. because he is showing a little bit more in the pass rush. Um, and and it's like to me, it, it really is a surprise. Um, what this leads me to, though, is a frustration. That this guy is getting all of these opportunities, he's getting to play a ton of snaps, and some of this has to do with Justin Houston being injured, but as we see Breland Speaks benefit from this this surplus of opportunities, we see a guy that is way more athletic and taken right around the same spot a year before Speaks and Tano Passigno, like just wasting away on the sideline. And, you know, you, you mentioned last week the play that Passigno made where he shot into the backfield and, and made a great play. The jet sweep? Yeah. And, like, I don't think that we've seen that kind of ability from Speaks on any play. Well, no, he's not that type of athlete. No. Right. And that's what I'm saying is, like, 
if if we can see slowly but surely that Speaks is getting better by being able to be on the field, I mean, maybe this is just me trying to apply the transitive property that like that should happen to anybody, mm-hmm. right? But it does certainly add some frustration that I feel like Passanio is probably getting 10 or fewer snaps every game, and it might even be like five or fewer defensive snaps every game. Yep. And mostly, I mean, mostly at the end when these games are over, like not many meaningful snaps. It's, it is kind of alarming. Uh, this is a conversation we had during the game, just how much Brandon Speaks is playing. Like Brandon. Brand, is that what I call him? You called him Brandon. Brandon Spikes. <laughs> um, there you go. That's good. So, I mean, he's playing 90% of the snaps, and it's kind of weird. Like, I mean, that's that's like Tomba and Justin Houston levels. Like, mm-hmm. even D Ford was, was getting more of a look with this when we had two all pros at, at outside linebacker. Um, so, it is kind of weird that Passigno is just not getting them at all, even with Justin Houston out, just not sniffing the field. Uh, I say that, and then this week, the perfect opportunity to get the guy some snaps. Uh, I've heard whispers that Houston might be back this week. Uh, it's, I heard someone plugged in say they might try and get him back this week for some snaps, so he's you know kind of full bore for the uh, for the Mexico game. Yeah. Um, so so you know give Justin Houston twenty snaps, and you know give D Ford you know eighty percent of the snaps, or eh, maybe not even that much. Mm-hmm. I, I would like to see a lot of speaks and passing. You know, just both of them, because I just I mean this game is a glorified scrimmage. This is a practice. Uh, I'm totally fine with giving D Ford actually like closer to fifty percent of the snaps. Give Justin Houston some so he can get his body right. And then give Breland Speaks and Passigno and just let them go all game. Because we ain't losing this game, and I want to see them both develop. And it's, we have huge decisions to make at their position after this season. I mean, we've discussed the D Ford contract ad nauseum, but Justin Houston, we got a $13 million decision to make on him after the season. So we need as much information on Breland Speaks and Tano Passigno as we can get this offseason. And to me, I mean, up to this point, it seems like the team, like, there's there's something about Passigno that they don't like. And and whether that's they don't think that he's ready um, for one reason or another, or, you know, we have, we joked about privately, like, Speaks was a second-round pick for Brett Veach, and Tano Passigno was a second-round pick for John Dorsey, you know? And, and... Those guys, those general managers, like they're they're arrogant, man. I mean, I'm not saying that it's a it's a it's a bad thing, but like I could see them just saying, like, well, it's more important for me to develop my guy. This is my guy. It's not, you know, and and Passigno is not. That's not to say that you know when he was drafted, we probably didn't get stories about Brett Veach finding this diamond in the rough in Villanova. Um, I'm trying to think like, of any other. Uh position like that on the Chiefs right now. I don't think there's anyone that's really comparable. Mm, I, but, it's, I mean, I mean I people know. feel like... I mean, generally, they. I'm sure they feel like that. And it's it's maybe not even, like, a petty thing. It might just be, like, he likes this player more than, than Passico. Well, there's not an argument to be had at, at really any of the other positions, right? I mean, it seems like all of Dorsey's other draft picks have established themselves at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, to where there there isn't much development. That so needs they're either to be had. an all pro or they're not in the league anymore. Well, I mean, it's <laughs> it's because if you look at the other guys in Passanio's class, I mean, he's sandwiched between what Patrick Mahomes and Kareem Hunt. Like, <laughs> I mean, he's part of the best Chiefs draft class of all time, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, I I guess for me, like, 
I, I just think, especially if you if you want to talk about specifically the Cardinals game, I mean, much like I'm going to be stepping into a musical at halftime. Um, I'll I, be in a musical the, the entire game in my head. I think, I think that it'd be really wise for the Chiefs to basically just say, like, in the second half of this game, we're going to have Passanio and Speaks play every snap. We're going to have Dorian O'Daniel play every snap. Yes. You know, you might even want to have Ben Neiman play every single snap. Throwing the young safety. Just to just to be able to not only give those guys reps, but also like the guys that are banged up, give them rest. Yeah. You know, because that's why, a, that's why I came around D four real quick there. Like, man, yeah. give him give him a, gl- a half of a bye week here going into the Rams game, so he can play a hundred percent of the snaps in that. Game. Well, and they're fortunate that after the Rams game, they get the bye. And then they play a Thursday night game, and then they get another extra rest. Like, they're going to get a big break, basically, after Mexico, which is really... They got another bye week coming, too. (laughs) They play the Raiders twice. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we got a lot of bye weeks coming. (laughs) I'm at the playoffs. Um, Yeah, that's... There you go. But, I mean, I... And this, this is another thing that, like... This might just be like crow magnon football crap, but I do think it's it's at least worth mentioning that you know you didn't you said like didn't necessarily need to see Sammy Watkins get back on the field and he wanted to get back on the field. Anthony Hitchens, quite like highly questionable to come out and play. Played, got hurt, left the field. Ultimately, came back came in. back into the game. <laughs> like in in. The game against the Browns, yeah. right? Like, and, and when both of those guys come back, like, it's not very meaningful at that time. And they're still wanting to be on the field. And, I mean, we haven't really talked about him today. That's that's Patrick Mahomes, man. Like, I, I'm 100% huh. giving credit to Patrick Mahomes. These guys want to go out there and they want to play. They believe in what Mahomes is doing, and and they believe in what Andy Reid is doing. Andy, and, and like they want to be on the field. We haven't praised Andy enough today. <laughs> I've done it. Never enough praise for Andy Reid, as far as you're concerned. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, I mean that's 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 your real speaks take. Kind of like where it. I'm at with speaks, and it, it develops into this passing yo take because it's just like yeah, just I give think, us some passing. I think it's just really important, like you said, like it's they need to know what they have at that position in order to make the most informed decision this offseason. And they're I mean, and this is it was the same kind of stuff that was it's like this is the maybe the closest scenario that we've seen to this was D4. And, oh, yeah. and it's just because it was like you have a guy that is important based on where he was drafted and you knew he needed to develop a little bit, but he's he's not getting on the field and you don't know if he's good. And it ended up giving Tom Holly a terrible contract because we didn't know. Exactly. And, and I mean, it has ultimately sort of worked out because of what you're seeing from D Ford. But, like, you know, if, if they re-sign D Ford, there's a scenario in which Passanio has a second-round pick with what many people think is limitless potential. He ends up... You know, moving on from Kansas City after you know playing fewer than like a hundred defensive snaps total in his rookie contract. I have I have no idea what to think about D Ford. I have just no idea because you know I've I've stated my theory earlier this this season. I I don't want to sign anybody to to big money that has an injury history, and he certainly does. Uh, but 
But man, if you make an exception, pass rush is a good one to make an exception on. Yeah. Uh, but that's also when you get into trouble. So, but uh, we don't have to make that decision yet. Uh, I want to talk about Chris Jones a little bit. A stat that I saw and had zero clue that this was going on. Did you know? Five weeks in a row, Chris Jones has a sack. Um, that makes sense because he got one on Sunday. I. Th- uh, we mentioned that he had a sack in, in four straight games last week. Well, I mean, if you're, I'm I mean, usually not listening if, if you're talking on the podcast. Big surprise. Uh, but uh, wait, what did you just say? I think I said I thought. <laughs> Got him. Um, so that yeah, that's really all. That's all it is on uh, Chris Jones. Really, uh, just that he's he's having a really good damn season, and we really haven't talked about him that much. Um, you got anything on Chris Jones? Um, I mean, I don't fill the air as, as well as you do. Your your Breland Speaks take, take took about ten minutes. My Chris Jones take took about thirty seconds. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Um, I mean, I like Chris Jones a lot. I don't think that Chris Jones has turned into the player that we're gonna have I to think, resign Chris Jones that conversation. I think, <laughs> I think a lot of us were, you know, hoping or anticipating. Um, but I mean. It's also hard because I don't watch enough of the the entire NFL to be able to, to say like how other guys play. Mm-hmm. Because we know the Chiefs, and, and this isn't even arrogant. Like it's because we watch them so much. Like we know the Chiefs better than most of the national people do. Mm-hmm. Right? We're not casual observers. Yeah. Like if we were to talk to Nick Wright right now, he would ask us questions about the Chiefs because we're watching them week in and week out, we're watching every single play and, and knowing what's going on. Yeah. So and it's kind of impossible for anybody to like really be an expert on all thirty-two teams, but you know we're having these conversations about how Chris Jones disappears for long stretches in a game, and I don't know if people have that same conversation about Fletcher Cox or if they have that conversation about Aaron Donald. I don't. I don't know because I don't watch those guys enough. I feel like I watch Chris Jones and say. Like, I don't know how much money I want to give this guy, or I don't know, you know, how much faith exactly. I want to have in this guy because he's up and down. Yeah. But, yeah, like, I feel like you've never, there you might know. be every defensive tackle that's gotten, you know, $60 million, and, and you, they put up these sack numbers every year. I mean, if Chris Jones, you said five straight games of the sack, that means he has at least five sacks. Yeah. <laughs> and, he, and he plays, you know, three, four defensive end. Yeah. Like and all it takes is ten good plays from him all season to you know get sixty million dollars. Like right. if you get ten sacks in a season, you're getting you're getting paid a whole lot of money playing playing the NFL. Exactly, and and because I don't know how like consistent a force any of these guys are, um, any any of his peers, it's it's I don't I don't I can't I can't say one way or the other. But I mean, I will tell you that at least in terms of like all the extracurriculars. Chris Jones is maybe my favorite player on the team, like off the field. Certainly in front of a microphone. Because of the Hummer? Um, does he have a Hummer? <laughs> <laughs> oh, are you talking about you're talking about his Oh yeah, a great big one. <laughs> great big one. Uh, He's got one of the original Hummers, not that H2 crap. Right. Okay. No. It's <laughs> like, does he really? <laughs> that would be such a his darkness pull, though, because you know what car Chris Chris Jones drove. Um, oh, does he? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that's good. Oh yeah, he does. does. He does. Uh, no, I mean, you want to see just, it? I got pictures of it. <laughs> oh, 
fear. Yeah. He's he's uh, he's obviously just like a ton of fun in front of the cameras, and yeah, and I think that like the whole damn team is man. We got our whole damn team out there dancing, and and he's I mean yeah, but he's and he's like having a blast on Twitter and constantly saying like I can't wait to get home and and you know get the red out and we want to see the fans and let's be loud on Sunday mm-hmm. and he's. You know, hyped up on the field and bringing the energy and yep. clapping his hands and stuff. Like I, he knows how to endear himself to, to the fans. Yeah, he's infectious. And I mean, that started from the moment that you saw him get drafted and how he. The moment wore, you saw what? He. That's <laughs> <laughs> home. Yeah, Once I, you saw the Hummer pull into the driveway. Yeah. 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 Okay. Go ahead. I'm not gonna. I can't talk about Chris Jones anymore. Cause you're gonna keep making dick jokes. Oh, okay. She's grow up. Grow up. Uh, I only got one last thing here. A fun little stat. Um, the Chiefs have won nine straight coin tosses. <laughs> Robbed your thunder. Dude, dude and, and uh, I was going to say Mahomes. I almost called Sam Mellinger Mahomes. So Sam Mahomes said uh, we won all four in the preseason, too. Did you oh, see that? Nice. So we are on a 13-game uh, coin toss winning streak. That oh, is absurd. Uh, but fourth down conversion, something we've talked about. I wanted to look at this because we've already given up 13 on the season. Uh, the NFL record for most fourth down conversions allowed ever, 18. So we're only five away from allowing the most fourth down conversions ever. Uh, Isn't that fun? I, I, will, I will offer up what I would say is uh, the last word today. Jack Smack. The Kansas City Chiefs are top five. And sacks, and like fewest sacks surrendered as an offense. Mm. Top five. Their, their plus minus sack is top five. Is really high. In both Probably have the highest plus minus sack ratio, I would guess. And I think that we all entering this season never would have imagined either of those things. I mean, maybe a little bit on the offense, maybe. Certainly didn't think that we were going to be top five in sacks defensively. Um, our Chiefs Cardinals preview. One question: mm-hmm. If I had to go out and start a quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday, do we beat the Arizona Cardinals? You've seen me play quarterback a little bit. You know, you know my strengths. You know my weaknesses. Uh, I can probably only throw it about twenty-five yards, and that's not from the line of scrimmage. That's from the launch point. And that's with no, <laughs> that's with no velocity whatsoever. Um, very, um, I hope it's not cold at all because you know there might be some football slippage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but you know we can adjust. Andy Reid adjusts his offense uh, to to his players' strengths. Uh, I would I would guess it would be like a, a wishbone triple option type of offense. Could see that. Um, lot, there is a disclaimer. Lot of RPOs. I mean, the obvious answer here is I get hit once and probably die. <laughs> uh, so imagine that doesn't happen. What I would say is that I don't want to risk it. Um, For the biscuit, and and so I I'd, I'd rather have honestly. <laughs> don't want to risk. You don't want to risk what the loss for the Chiefs or or my livelihood. <laughs> the loss of your life. Um, <laughs> oh, thanks. I I think that maybe and don't get me wrong. It's fun to think about you not only in full pads, <laughs> being the smallest guy on the field. Um, me and, and Dad are and, about the same. I think quarterback, but. I think that like maybe the like the better way to think about it is like 
if Chase Litton started at quarterback on Sunday. Who's that? Is that, our, is the, that our preseason guy? The practice squad. Oh, yeah, easily win Marshall, that. Like, easily win that. They'd destroy him. I mean, Chad Henney would put up 45 on Sunday. Like, he would. Hey, I wanted to have a Chad Kenny conversation this week. We did, we did not get to it. Oh, then you, We'll you, push that to next week. He's, okay. he's the uh, the secret behind Mahomes' success. He's that's the, my, that's the my theory. special sauce. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right, well, that's all I got. So, we would definitely win if I started a quarterback against the Arizona Cardinals. They are that bad. Uh, we are 17-point favorites. It's very rare to see an NFL team be favored by more <coughs> than that. There's been a handful of 17-point favorites. I think there's only been two in the last 15 years. Uh, me and old Danny Parkins were going back and forth about that. I was asking about when the Raiders come to town, how much we'll be favored by. Uh, but there was like a Broncos-Jaguars game a few years back that was like 22. Ooh, cool. uh, and there was another Patriots and someone game that they were, it was like 19. But those are like the only two games in the last 15 years over 17 points. I mean, this is, mm-hmm. you could argue the best team in the league with, at home against the worst team in the league right now is, is what we got on Sunday. Okay. I was trying to. I'm gonna look at something real quick before we go. You gotta look at something. Yeah. Um. Well, I'm gonna talk about having to turn the heat on today. I'm I'm pretty upset about that. That Chargers game <laughs> breaks the streak of the Chiefs playing the Raiders on Thursday nights. We played the Chargers Thursday night last week, last year. Did we? Yeah. Uh, well, whatever. That's cool. We can edit this part the, out. The Thursday night game that we have this year is against the Chargers. Uh-huh. I love that San Diego has to play in a short week on the road. Mm-hmm. That is in in our favor. Uh, yeah, and, and in regards to San Diego, they got three fairly easy games coming up. They got the Raiders and Cardinals, and then the Broncos coming to L.A. Uh, so a really good chance they'll be sitting at 9-2, and two, uh, which we, the Chiefs could also be sitting at 9-2 and two if they drop that Rams game. Uh, and then Chargers will be going at Pittsburgh. Uh, mm-hmm. They could be nine and two going to Pittsburgh in a few weeks. Interesting. So that be something to keep an eye on. The Chargers could become a threat to uh, to what we want to accomplish this year. But the Chargers have also not beaten anyone of note this. You season. know, I've heard that take a few times this week. Yeah, I've, I've heard a few people. Anybody? We got a, we got some weird uh, superiority complex with the Chargers. As soon as they get talked about, I just don't think they're good. <laughs> this year, I don't. I think they're good. I don't think, I think they're, they're good. good. All right, well, I think they're good. This has been Amateur Hour. Ryan Scott, while he's his darkness. Thanks for tuning in this week. And this is the Cranberries. No, that's the Wu Tang Clan. Ah, Rayquan. Who I heard that someone compared the Chiefs' offense to the Wu Tang Clan. Oh shit! It was about I dropped Rayquan there. I don't know about, the other guys. It was about versatility ah. because they got so many weapons. Well, so it wasn't like a comparison, like rapper to player. No, I don't think they went that in depth, but it was like who's the other main guy? Raekwon and oh, Method Man. It's Method Man, Red Man, Red Man, Jizza, Raekwon, Ghostface Killer. Like, I mean, it's, there's a lot of guys in, in the world. Let's put that together. Let's put, let's put a good list together. We can do that. I'm down with that. I, I've been I've been kind of tooling around with this idea. Of doing like the amateur hour version of parent porn, like 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 needing to have that corner, needing to have a non-sports conversation each week that just lasts for you know ten minutes, and so, you know whether that is 
talking about the Caps or, you know, whatever. But, like, just some sort of off-field discussion that we have each week that has to be talking about sort of the same thing each week. And I don't know, I don't know what it's going to be. But we need to we need to brainstorm that a little off the mic right. because I think that'd be that'd well, be fun. We'll have it figured out by by season's end. Yeah, we'll have it figured out by February, no problem. And it can't it can't be this lopsided like horror stories in, in Ryan's online dating because you don't you can't share you don't have it. It has to be something that like we both we both I'll have, have I'll have the horror stories of domestic partnership. <laughs> Saturday night, eight o'clock. I got no pants on and not in a good way. Just sitting at home, <laughs> watching some college football. <laughs> hey, I really enjoyed that. Congratulations, honey. You were great.